Welcome to The Pulpit, the sermon podcast of Calvary Moravian Church. My name is Pastor Chaz Snyder, and I hope you'll use this recording to grow deeper in God's Word and help you on your spiritual journey. Our epistle lesson is from Philippians 3, 4-14. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if any other man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, become like him in his death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Hear another parable. There was a householder who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to tenants and went into another country. When the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the village comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put out those wretches to a miserable death, and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them, But when they tried to arrest him, they feared the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As we continue to meet God in this place, let us go to God in quiet meditation and prayer. Holy God, maker of heaven and earth. It is out of your great love for the world that you sent us your beloved son. 
So God, as we come to you now, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and restore us. May we be the people of your vineyard, and may we bear good fruit in your name. For you are the Lord our God, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, who delivered us to the promised land. So today we pray that you would release us from all of the things that hold us captive. And today, we pray for the release of those held captive by cruel governments and human traffickers, by oppressive ideologies and suffocating beliefs. We pray for those who are held captive in the grip of war across this world, those in Ukraine and Russia, but especially those in Israel and Palestine. We pray for the end of the suffering of the innocent at the hands of those who want to make war and for a swift resolution to conflict. And we pray for peace to reign. And God, we pray for the release of those held captive by debilitating disease and mental illness, for those held captive by crippling addictions or chronic fear. And God, we pray for the release of those held captives by crushing grief, by paralyzing memories, by hopelessness and loneliness. God, remind them and bring them out of that place. For we know that our hope can rest on you as the God who sets us free. So God, we pray that you release within us your divine compassion to spread through the world. Release within us your care on behalf of those who suffer. May all know that you are the Lord our God, who brought us into the land of promise and into the house of salvation. And now, O oh God, as we turn to your word, open our hearts and minds to what you are speaking to us today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing to you, O oh God. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we are picking back up in our sermon series, The Upside Down Kingdom. And this is uh, week four, part five, or part four. And you might be asking yourself, and rightly so, is he ever going to finish this thing? And will there, ever, will there be more sermons in this series than there are Rocky movies? And the answer to that question is that this week and next week, next week are the last ones in this sermon series. And I'm hoping that they don't drop in quality like the Rocky movies did. But here we are, looking at another story from Matthew's gospel that reveals something to us about the way God's kingdom works that reveals to us something about how we exist as God's people in the world, 
something that I think we constantly need reminding of. At least I know I do. And as we read this story today, I think it's important that we read it in a particular way. That we look at this story as an allegory, meaning a form of literature in which each word or image stands for something else. That it stands for something other than what's actually being said in the moment. And the challenge of reading any allegory is to discover the actual meaning of the words being written, especially when the images in this story are ones that we are not familiar with. They're not common to our own time, but they're actually from a completely different world and a completely different culture. So how do we unpack this? And it's important for us to take the time to understand this context before we ask ourselves, how does this apply to us? How do we take a story like this from Matthew and learn how to live in this upside down kingdom today? So first, let's take a look at the allegories in this text and see what these different things perhaps might stand for. So think of this next little bit as like the credits in a movie that uh, as we unpack these different characters. So in this text, we have God who is the landowner. And the land of, and the land of Israel is the vineyard. The members of the Jewish religious establishment are the tenant farmers. And the prophets of the Old Testament are the representatives of God or the landowner who comes to collect when things are due. And Jesus is the son who comes at the end to collect and who was killed by those tenant farmers. And the church is the group invited to work in the vineyard at the end of the parable. So here you have a little bit more context. Here's your cast of characters, so to speak, in this story. And so it might be hard for you to think how this allegory in this story, even though it's so distant from us, is possibly useful for us to think about in our world today. But I hope as we look at this, you might see that there is a truth in here that rings true for us today. Because at the core of this parable, at the heart of what is going on here, is kind of one really important point. And at the heart of this parable is that Israel rejected God. That God's people ended up turning on God, even to the point of killing his, the son of the, of the landowner. And as we think about this, we can think about the different ways that people might turn away from God today. And first, there are people who don't see God at work at all in our world. Or, or they think that they, can know, they can't know anything about God at work in the world. They may see the beauty of creation. They may acknowledge the power and the splendor of the universe they could even acknowledge that there's a power beyond what we can understand. But it's not a God that we can know. It's not a God that we can be in relationship with. So there may be some who don't deny the amazing design of the vineyard in which we live, but they simply deny that we can have a relationship with this power behind it all. And one thing that we know in the world today and that is definitely the case, 
is that as we look out into our world, it is clear that membership in all Christian denominations is declining. More and more people prefer to be what they might say is quote-unquote spiritual, without any specific connection to a group or tradition or people, which might not be too surprising, given that many different churches don't necessarily make it easy for people to think through these beliefs and even actually distance themselves from people who ask these type of questions. But what is clear in our culture today is that people seem less likely to commit to things like church, the Bible, regular forms of worship, or really any form of organized religion. Instead, there seems to be a preference for a vague connection to the idea of spiritual that provides some vague benefit to their life. And that is one way that people can distance themselves from God. Similar to the way in this parable that it talks about the people distancing themselves from God. But there's also another way. It's not the only way that we can distance ourselves from God. Some people don't completely reject God as much as they try to pull one over on God, so to speak. In 1 Kings 18... Elijah confronts the people in the presence of the priest of Baal, and he tells them to stop limping between two opinions. Basically, he tells them to pick a side. If God is God, then serve God. If Baal is God, then serve him. And this is a lesson I think the 21st century world needs to hear. And perhaps this lesson is the one that many churches need to hear as well. And perhaps because many churches haven't heard this word very well, that is why we have a generation of folks who prefer this vague spirituality than an embedded religious community. You see, another way that we reject God occurs when we reject some of God's people for one reason or another. When we take a half measure on the radical grace at the heart of the gospel. You see, when Jesus extends grace to all, he means all, regardless of our opinions on how that all is living. You see, this is part of this upside-down kingdom. It's part of this all-encompassing grace at the core of this kingdom. You see, when we take half measures... We stand wishy-washy our, in our footings with God. We can slowly erode how we treat each other. And we see this as evidence in the world around us and throughout history. You see, human beings are capable of doing terrible, terrible things to one another when they somehow are able to define another person as less worthy when they can define them as less human, when they can see them as less valuable. Think of the conflict that is unfolding as we speak right now in Israel and Palestine. Horrible violence committed in terrorist attacks, but it was preceded by horrible conditions by an occupying oppressive government, which was preceded by more violence which was preceded by more dehumanizing, and so on, and so on, 
and so on and so on. All by seeing another group as other. You see, we can see as we slowly dissolve others' humanity, as we slowly erode seeing them as another beloved child of God, it opens up the ability to treat them as less human. If we, can ima- if we can manage to turn another human being into an other, there is no limit to what we can do or will allow to be done to them. We can be as brutal to one another as the men who beat and stoned and killed the people in the passage from Matthew. Just think of our own nation, which maintained slavery for over 246 years, which practiced segregation for another 100 years on top of that, because America was able to define black people as the other. We nearly wiped out the Native American tribes and nations simply by defining them as other. And there have been many other nations that have rejected God's way by rejecting God's people. Germany employed the Holocaust. The Soviet Union had its gulags. It was called apartheid in South Africa. Ethnic cleansing in the Balkan regions of Europe and Central of Africa. And even today, in 21st century India, there is still a group of people called the untouchables. In Australia, there continues to be discrimination against the aboriginal people. In each of these instances, there were some people refusing to accept the humanity of another person. When we reject some of God's people, we are rejecting the God who made them. As part of what it means to be this upside-down kingdom is a challenge It is all who claim faith. All who claim faith in Christ are part of this upside-down kingdom. And even those who don't are still beloved children of the same God. This allegory continues in Matthew 21, verse 44. The one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces, Jesus says. It will crush anyone whom it falls. So what does this mean? It sounds so violent. Essentially, what Jesus is getting at is that anyone who turns away from Jesus, who decides to live by the world around us and its kingdom and its set of rules, not by the upside-down radical grace of God's kingdom, if we turn from that, we fall victim to the effects of greed and selfishness. Because at the core of the way the world works are those two things, greed, selfishness, and pride. The greed and selfishness only causes more division and for us to see each other as an other. And the tragedy is all of it could have been avoided. People ruined their own lives and the lives of others because they turned away from the lessons of that stone in this story. You see, when we look at this story, Jesus says that the stone that we build upon is the one that the builders rejected. 
It may break us down, but only so that we can be built up again. The stone may take away our pride and our prejudice, our sin and our selfishness, takes away our greed and our guilt, and it replaces it with something far stronger, with faith, with hope, with love, all of which are stronger than any of those destructive forces when we let them flourish in our own lives. When we let those be the fruit that grows out of this vineyard, once that grace has entered our lives, the stone begins to build and our lives become a strong foundation. Every floor of this new spiritual building will be stocked with the valuable fruits of the Spirit. The first four, the first floor, equip us with love. The second floor, with joy. And as our spiritual building grows higher and higher, we see peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control all beginning to take up residence in our lives because we trust in the cornerstone. I recently saw a bumper sticker that said, the world you deserve comes not by change, but not by chance, but by change. The world you desire comes by chance, not by chance, but by, wow, I'm gonna get that right eventually. You see, the world that God is attempting to shape through the ministry of the church will not be established by coincidence. It will not be established by mere chance. It's not a product of waiting or a product of happenstance. You see, the upside-down kingdom doesn't flip over the ways of this world on its own. It requires us to do the tipping not by waiting and watching, waiting for things to get worse. You see, the cornerstone of this upside-down kingdom was not the prime best of the best stone. It was the one tossed aside by the builder. So available to each of us, within each of us, is the grace and the redemption that empowers us to build this kingdom, not by chance, but by enacting this change. As the poet Dylan Thomas says, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. This is how the upside down kingdom works. We must carry that light bravely into a world that needs it. And it won't happen by waiting. It will come only when people change how they live, when we change how we live. No longer rejecting the God who made each of us, but striving together to live in peace. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the radical grace at the core of our faith. Help us to tend and fight for that light. Help us to not turn against you, 
not to slowly begin to see one another as an other, but always as your beloved children. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.